It's not destroying, it's making something new. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you think I'm out in the garden pining for you? My name is Shahir Dad. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Annihilation. 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 It's just such a good word to say out loud, isn't it's it? It's a great word. But you know what? It's really hard to spell. It's one of those words where uh-huh. I was like, I would get the I and the A around the wrong way. It's just wrong. It's uh, just wrong. Uh, hopefully easier to talk about than to spell. Bada bing, bada boom. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. We're going. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're, doing, doing, we're doing an all pun episode today. Go- oh, no. That <laughs> that sounds like it could be problematic. Um, <laughs> I was trying to make a pun. It failed. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for coming uh, and listening to us once again. Again, um, we are the only podcast about movies for are anybody. We? Yeah, are we? we are Actually. officially Toe Pam. You hate the you hate the anagram, but that's no, what it is. No, I prefer Toe Jam. Toe Jam. Yes, yeah, we are a Toe Jam and Earl, uh, and the only podcast about Toe Jam and Earl. And we are here to I don't know what are we here for, Shahir? We are going to discuss Alex Garland's second sophomore feature. Is it sophomore? I don't actually know these terms. Freshman, sophomore, sophomore, so, sophomore, second, second. sophomore, directorial. Directorial of course, yeah, sophomore. he's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, writer of 28 Days Later, um, The Beach, uh, Sunshine. Dread. Dread, yes. And ex- Dread was the first. You brought me over to your house to watch Dread in 3D on a projector. Oh, yeah. And it was like my the start of my love affair with like having a projector at home. Yeah. But I also thought that's actually a really good example of a movie that has Matt and Shahir crossover special. Yeah. Which is that I feel it's like an excellent, entertaining film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's smart, well played, yeah. um, and really, really works. And it works. What I love about that movie is it works as a standalone movie. The only unfortunate thing about that movie is it's exactly the same story as The Raid. Yes, the oh, it's, it's literally identical. But but then you just sort of put the Judge Dread stamp on it, yeah. and that gets me through the door. Not that the, I mean the raid's great too. It's yeah. just uh, you know that's, that's how that it's works. just the only unfortunate thing, and it's not an intentionally unfortunate thing. It's just an unfortunate like comparison. God, they're to never make. gonna they're never gonna make that sequel. God, God, yeah. God. and also getting Keith Carl, Urban wants to, uh, Carl Urban wants to do it. Yeah, but. Carl Urban, New Zealander from my hometown, into the lead role as Judge <laughs> Judge Dredd. He wants to do it. Yeah, he said I think he'd do I, it. I, I I remember them talking. Talking about uh, possibly doing it as an Amazon show for a while. Oh, yes. Hey, if they can make Jean-Claude Van Johnson, they can make Dread the Amazon TV show. Jean-Claude Van Johnson <laughs> is it's a surprise. It's, it's what Amazon does. It's do they, they sort of like they do their pilot and then the your right. the, the subscribers vote and yeah. then they decide what to do it. Jean-Claude Van Johnson is a Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, oh, is it comedy. the spy? He, where he, he's not really an actor. He's an actor, but he's also, it's all a front for his spy work, and he goes back into it when he's making, I believe it's Tom Sawyer as an action movie uh, by this, like, With weird, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It's really, it's fun. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun show. I don't know how great it, I haven't finished it, but um, that'd be great. I think they should do that. Before we jump into uh, Annihilation, I'd love to go back over some emails that we've been receiving for the last few weeks. Yes. Um, if you are listening, is this your first time listening? You can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Please also write us a review on uh, our iTunes page. It's the way to help spread the word and get get us out there more, which is something you would want to 
do. Maybe. I mean, maybe you would you want do. to expose us. Listen, listen, I can totally understand being, I, I have been in relationships before where I just want to keep that, the other person or, or entity you to wanna, myself. Yeah, you want to hide and us I wanna, away. But, but we have to grow. And I feel like- We oh, can no longer be the, the only podcast in your closet. The, yeah, we need to we need to be other people's only podcast. <laughs> in their closets. It's not you, it's us. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> let's share some of the people that have been sharing and talking to us. Uh, Maya on uh, via email, we've been very, really enjoying these emails. What uh, up, Maya? Maya. Um, first up, she wanted to talk about uh, Phantom Thread. If you go back to our Phantom Thread episode, uh, so again, uh, I have to agree with Shahir and Jamie and say I really enjoyed this film. Actually, that, I think that may be uh, uh, misquoting you. You did enjoy the film. Right? I did enjoy the yeah, film. Yeah. Thanks, Maya. No, uh, <laughs> I did enjoy the film. I just didn't fall in love with it yeah. as much as the both of you did. I think I think it's an excellently made film that I enjoyed at the time watching. Right. And and I agree that that is your opinion. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, exactly. Um, and she wanted to talk about. Uh, I, I think the point that she wanted to disagree with was uh, m- uh, this notion that Alma doesn't have any agency. And yes. I don't agree with that. We need to see her story to bring agency through. So I think there was a uh, a back and forth in that episode. Where we were talking about whether we needed to see more of Alma's backstory. And this and an interesting couple of facts since that episode is that is that P.T. Anderson said they actually did shoot uh, scenes where they reveal her story. Yeah. Um, and he kind of eventually felt that they were unnecessary to the film. Also, uh, that'll be an interesting conversation about the film we're going to talk a majority about today, Annihilation. There's some things with Natalie Portman's character, and it, it actually ties in very well. So we'll see if that plays through in the same way it did in in the Phantom Threat. Or Phantom uh, Threat. I also uh, I found an interesting academic paper about uh, agency in film that uh, I forwarded to uh, Maya, and it's actually, it's a, it's a really cool interactive um, experience where you can actually figure out, um, they, they try to characterize what agency actually means, agency versus power, mm-hmm. and it's basically taking the Bechdel test and and trying to like put, uh, trying, to, try, trying to quantify it in a sort of more academic way. Okay. Um, it's, uh, I, I can post the link up, um, but it's called, it's called Movie Biases. Um, and you should, well, give it to me because you're not on Facebook anymore. I'll put it on our Facebook yeah. page and we can do it there. The, the paper is called Power and Agency in Modern films uh and it's a uh it's really interesting because they also get into this notion that that i think is problematic when you're talking about a film like phantom thread which is it which is a historically based film or set in a time period where agency between men and women is actually a different categorization so they talk about the fact that 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 power and agency are two different things um and and they go into some detail into discerning what actually defines agency because agency in a modern context might actually mean something along the lines of being able to to make decisions in front of your peers or, mm-hmm. or, or having positions of authority but agency in a cinematic sense might actually mean being able to um, take control make decisions that affect the outcome of the narrative which I think is a closer example of what Alma does in the Phantom in Phantom 3 and maybe maybe uh, agency might have been a miss a miscommunication on my part my 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 issue was, uh, and, and I thought it might be brought up through backstory or or, or brought sort of forward is uh, I didn't feel her her only motivation was based around this per, this man, and mm-hmm. I, outside of that, I didn't know why she existed. Now, right. granted, now now even saying that, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, 
a lot of people, myself included, have felt that way from time to time. Just like, why why am I doing the daily routine that I do all the time? That's not too interesting. Right. So maybe there's there's some playback with that. It's just I do distinctly remember feeling when I was watching the film and maybe upon a repeat viewing, I wouldn't care as much. Um, because it felt uneven to me, the amount of care and mm. development they gave Woodcock and 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 they, they didn't to her. And I can see that maybe director wanted to just not do it or for time or cut it out or wanted to really get to the meat and potatoes of the relationship. But for me, I like it when if we're going to deal with the relationship with two or more people, I'd like even time uh, on on both. I, I guess my only uh, thought about that is that we are entering a phase of film criticism now where uh, film criticism is very vocal and people are responding on Twitter to films. People are talking about it online. On and, podcasts? And, on podcasts. Apparently there's another one. <laughs> and, um, and we're also getting into this phase now where uh, social movements are gaining... Uh, uh, massive traction uh, online. So, you know, for example, the Me Too movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think we're getting into this sort of interesting period where um, we might get into a phase of projecting our social consciousness of the moment onto films that don't necessarily need to reflect that. Um, and so we're getting into this period where, um, for example, Phantom Thread is not a movie of the now it's not a a movie that reflects current social trends Mm -hmm. and and to sort of try to infer or um project social trends onto it what's a social trend that i'm for example for uh, example the idea of agency you know like the idea of power for women which is a which is a model so modern social context but not that was never what i was saying though and again i think i misspoke when i said the term agency right i think it's more about if i'm dealing with multiple characters in a relationship yeah i don't want it to be incredibly one-sided unless it really serves the narrative and i don't feel that it did really serve the narrative to have it be one-sided in in not only information I have about them, but just sort of um, what makes them tick. All I know about Alma is is whatever Woodcock is doing is what's making her tick. Right, and I, that to me is just a little bit more empty than say Woodcock, who has his design stuff and all this stuff. And again, I'm I'm recounting this uh, about a film I saw a month ago. Yeah, and uh, and the initial feelings I had of it. I I, I, yeah. I guess I misspoke. I don't want to I don't want to open up the the conversation yeah. on Phantom Thread. I think we said what we wanted to say. Go on, back and the, listen to that one. Yeah, in that uh, episode. But yeah. I think it's I think we're in sort of an interesting period, and I think we're uh, experiencing this sort of like a uh, mild sense of dislocation where we are requiring films to live up to modern social trends when they either don't aren't of that modern aren't of that aren't talking about that you know like not every film has to be um about the me too movement even though that is pretty much going to yes. be the context for which every film is made from now on right i 100 percent agree with what you're saying i just don't know if it if it outside of me making a verbal mistake i don't know where we're going with it right, now. <laughs> right. and then uh, i want to come back to Meyer as well who wrote us in about the cloverfield paradox oh no um, her, oh no uh her decision here was uh she she did not like it at all oh what, what do you mean <laughs> um and she figured out after reading some reviews on the movie, one was that J.J. Abrams and co. decided to make Tin Cloverfield Lane into a Cloverfield movie in post and made Cloverfield Paradox, the God Particle, into one during the filming. And I thought I, I feel like this is what justifies why Tin Cloverfield Lane is a better movie than Paradox, but also why the connections between the three films um, don't make sense. I think J.J. Abrams and a lot of directors are keen on keeping everything a secret or having mysterious endings or cliffhangers that'll push us to think it's innovative or make them an interesting storyteller uh, when it shows that it's just poor... Uh, 
uh, and lazy writing and directing. Um, the Cloverfield Paradox is an interesting one in terms of like the context for which it was released. You know, the at which point it morphed into a Cloverfield narrative is kind of up for debate. I I think my takeaway from from the Cloverfield Paradox is it's unfortunate that it became. Uh, it's unfortunate the film isn't good. But I like the idea, uh, the sort of overarching theory in the Cloverfield Paradox, this anthology idea, which is that, oh, we can take an interesting sci-fi idea and we can sell it to the audience by slapping the name Cloverfield on it sure. because that film might not otherwise get made. In a way, it's sort of like a, a sort of uh, a home for uh, abandoned film, which is something that I think is going to come up in our conversation about Annihilation yes. and, its, and its intended release. I think I agree with 50% of what Maya is saying here, which is basically, yeah, the, the, I would do, whether or not w each film was turned Cloverfield, mm -hmm. injected with Cloverfield uh, uh, at whatever point in its development, I don't think that particularly matters as long as the source material is good and the controller behind it is skilled. And I think what happened with um, with Ten Cloverfield Lane, the reason why it's a good film is because it was a good film before they put the ten before they put the Cloverfield thing on it. And I think the reason why Cloverfield Paradox is is bad is because it was a bad film before they even inserted the Cloverfield Paradox into it. There's nothing there was nothing cohesive at all about Cloverfield Paradox, and it and I don't I don't buy into the fact that it was not cohesive or didn't make sense because nothing would make sense in this particular situation. Like it didn't again Annihilation, a theme that Annihilation does does it much better in a sort of in in a in a in the sort of mystery box esque type storytelling than right. Cloverfield Paradox could ever hope to do. Um, and then finally, uh, a comment about me on Black Panther, which I thought was a, a really interesting, valuable comment to have as well. Again, Maya, we really appreciate you sending these emails in. Uh, Shahir said a lot during this podcast that the overall thing he does uh, that that the overall things he say don't doesn't matter because the larger context of this movie is much bigger than him. And while yes, I agree uh, to some point, I feel like Shahir, what you, uh, say what you want to say. Uh, there are <laughs> no, some don't tell him. <laughs> do that <laughs> there are so many films and tv shows and culture that uh out there that have such a large context that maybe in some perspective and criticism uh doesn't need to be weighed exactly the same but i hate that you uh i hate that you say well whatever i feel the much uh the movie is much bigger than me your opinion matters um i appreciate uh, the vote of confidence and i actually agree with you maya that i think i um uh i, I felt like what my quibs, uh, my qualms about the film uh, weren't as important as the film existing inside. But, but I will say I, I've been thinking a lot about this in in respect to two films. Uh, one was uh, our review of Wonder Woman, where I think I felt uh, very. Um, not opposed to that film, but I, I, I felt like I wanted to set the the sort of criticism correct that I didn't think it was a sure, particularly sure. great movie. Um, um, but I think, you know, at least I, I hope that I still kind of managed to inject the the cultural importance of that film existing. And then finally, uh, Three Billboards Outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri, because I wanted to talk about the fact that that while I think Three Billboards is a very problematic film, it, stumble, it either stumbles or intentionally lands on an ending, which I think makes makes the mis uh, makes whatever I have qualms about more interesting than than my qualms and the thing with Bla the reason I wanted to bring that up is that I think the thing with Black Panther is uh, again for me um, Killmonger's narrative in Black Panther is actually a reflection of the cultural context for which this film exists and makes the the things that I think are problematic uh, in that film um, actually um, they override it and 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 I think that that 
that is a reason why I'm kind of um, a little bit more positive to Black Panther um, than I perhaps ordinarily would be. I think I think that ending, or I think I think what they do with Killmonger is is really fascinating and and worthwhile. Um, and so uh, again, if Maya, I appreciate uh, those emails. Please keep sending those in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail or. You can hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod, which is what Laura did. Um, Hi, Laura. Hi, Laura. And she, I just thought this was funny because we've had a couple of people live tweeting episodes as they're listening to them. Which is wonderful. If you'd like <laughs> to do that, let us know that you're doing it and, and add us. Well, obviously, you'd be, you'd be tweeting at I us. I would. I would hope so. Uh, and she said, if I ever live tweet an episode, please be concerned because I only listen to episodes when I'm driving. Oh, no. Wait, don't. <laughs> uh, don't I, do it. I replied to her, well, you could use Siri to say, tweet Matt and Shahir, you're both idiots. Uh, and, and she replied, you could do, I could just set that up as a weekly tweet. <laughs> great. <laughs> which, great. I thought, which I thought yep. was great. Shahir, <laughs> telling our listeners to call us names. <laughs> <sighs> thank you, everyone, so much for your, yes, uh, your you. input. And moving on to Alex Garland's Annihilation. Annihilation. I dig Alex Garland's. Why? Why wouldn't you? Uh, I just so far so good. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of a of a project that he was tied to that I've seen that I've been like, no. I mean, mostly he's been he's known as a screenwriter, and he, um, you know, so obviously Sunshine, Never Let Me Go, Dread, Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, well, Ex Machina is the turning point where he became the director. Yes. Um, and a lot of work with Danny Boyle, obviously. Yep. Um, I. Uh, I, I actually first came to Alex Garland because I read his book, The Beach. For some reason, The Beach was a really popular book in New Zealand before the movie came out. Is it is it because you have a lot of coastline? Uh, no, but I think maybe it's because Thailand is very close to New Zealand and a lot of New Zealanders go traveling through Thailand. Gotcha. So it was kind of this idea of this mystery thing. Um, the movie's not... Uh, super great, no. uh, but it's a but it's an interesting movie nonetheless, and it, it pointed to an interesting voice. And then obviously twenty eight day late, twenty eight days later, I, I want to jump over all of his his screenwriting work, which I think yeah. is is excellent. But Ex Machina, I think, was a movie that came out in the first year we did this podcast. And I think I, I think both of us called it out as a movie I wish we'd reviewed yes. because it was a movie I was completely enamored with. I thought it was smart. I thought it was uh, philosophically intriguing. And, and I, and it really, um, uh, it really delivered on the premise of what it was. It never backed down from the, the potential of what its premise was. I am always a super fan of when you take a, a common trope in sci-fi mm -hmm. and in this term, it is sexy robot lady. Right. And you make a incredibly deep and meaningful, not only character study, but like study of sort of what humanity is and what it means to be human out of that. Yeah. Like you start with something incredibly pulpy. Yeah. And you turn it into something into something that has a ton to say. Yeah. And that's always something I'm a huge fan of. Um just because there is so much pulp out there that has nothing to say. <laughs> it also has one of the best dance scenes ever ever put to film with yep. my man crush Oscar Isaac yep. certainly killing it on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. So I uh obviously when uh you know it's announced that Alex Garland has a new film coming out, uh, I would you know I am first to first in line. Oscar Isaac was in it though he looked very different. I thought they did I don't know what they did with him, but they made him look much much different. Did you know that he was uh, that there's a, a great story of how he was he would be filming the Last Jedi at the same time as he was filming Annihilation. So he would actually come in from the Last Jedi with you know the longer sort of shaggy hair, and they just slick it back and put him into Annihilation that day. Um, wow! So he was doing double duty in both films. Well, he's such a great actor, regardless of of, of, of hairstyle. Uh, I, he felt in this film, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but just so much different than I've seen him. Yeah, and he was, uh, and, and what they. 
what Alex Garland did with him with Ex Machina is so different to what mm-hmm. I've seen him in. He's got that, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of... But um, the, he, he has the post swagger in Ex Machina, but from a different place, but yeah. you're getting the same bit of bravado, just a different flavor of it. So, like, I can see that sort of uh, yeah. correlation. But here, and a couple other places that I've seen him, I just love it. Every time I see a new Oscar Isaac movie, I'm like, there's a new Oscar Isaac. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a little bit rote right now, but um, the, uh, the comparison to young Al Pacino uh, ah. doesn't go uh, doesn't go unnoticed mm-hmm. and I think it particularly comes from a film uh, a history of uh, no uh, a year of a, a most violent year sure um, which I think really was his most Pacino Pacino is but he's great I, I think he's got that he's got that characteristic that I always want to see in actors, which is that he can be silent on screen doing nothing and I'm still like, I, I could watch it for an hour. Yeah. And he's not in this movie much. No, he's silent on uh, screen. Nat- <laughs> Natalie, Portman. Natalie Portman is the uh, is the full protagonist she's of this film. She's the titular uh, Annihilator. And she, uh, she's the an Annihilate. No, yeah. she, uh, I'll see also, I'll see anything with Natalie Portman in it. I like Natalie Portman a lot. Uh, I like, and this is something interesting sort of, uh, I like Natalie Portman, or at least the public persona of Natalie Portman quite a bit. What's the public persona? Uh, That she is a skilled actor who gives a shit about her projects, but is also like a pretty fun and good human. Right. Uh, she knows when to poke fun at herself, when to be serious. She does stuff like, uh, even the, she just redid, uh, on SNL, she redid a, Nat- a Natalie rap like yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. later or whatever, which I, it's like hilarious. She made fun of, uh, of the prequels a little bit or like defended them depending on how you're talking about it. Right. Um, but, then, also, but then she does like films like Jackie. Yeah. And no matter what she's doing, no matter what piece of work she's, she's involved in, she, gives it what I would consider her a hundred percent and her all even to the point of there's a reason why, and sorry, I'm going to MCU land, but yeah. there's a reason why she wasn't involved in further Thor's when she originally signed on for Thor one, yeah. she's like, look, I don't want to be a damsel. I don't want, I, I want to be, I want to have, I'll use the term agency yeah. <laughs> probably wrong in this film. Like, yeah, I don't just want to be the love interest. And then, after Thor, uh, the dark world came out, it was very clear that that's really all that they were going to do with her, despite promises that probably were made, etc. cetera, yeah. but the sequels will be better. So then they just, she didn't want to do it anymore. And she left. Right. And I, while I love the MCU, I, I a hundred percent respect anybody's involvement in any project being like, you told me I could do this thing. You're not doing this thing. Well, then I'm walking. Right. Like that's something that I, I, that, that is, um, that is some, some moral and high ground swag that I, uh, I really appreciate from her. She's also an accomplished academic, by the way. Yeah. Uh, she, she, oh, yeah. she has a doctorate she's, in psychology. Yeah. Um, and she's a published, uh, she's a published author of chemistry papers and Shivali and I, my wife and I were kind of looking at her papers, uh, last night. And, uh, yeah, she, she also has an NBA in making us all look like lazy assholes. Yeah. Cause we, uh, uh, yeah, because we don't have any of those. We things. don't. We don't do any of this. Except, <laughs> except for except for my wife. Yeah, no, Shivali. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So Shivali's out of the. Yeah, she's yeah. fine. Yeah, uh, um, you we're, and I. We're, we're idiots. We're literally just talking Laura about. Laura tweeted us. <laughs> <laughs> we already did it. We already did it. Um, but uh, um, I actually, uh, I just recently watched Jackie for the first time uh, uh, about a month ago with my mother because my mother is a, like a Jackie O fan. Oh. And it was really interesting because that movie does not do what you think it's going to do no. at all. And and, and it, was, it was odd watching her performance because her performance is so uh, stilted and such a, it's such a performance. But then we kind of watched scenes of Jackie O doing the exact same. And it was like, oh, yeah, no, she's pretty on point with this. With 
with this accent with the, and what she's doing. She's so on because she's not good. Like yeah. Jackie O wasn't really Be good. good but so things. here's a great actress having to greatly act someone who can't act. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. And I saw when I saw that, I actually saw she was at a a, a, a post panel discussion. Yeah. After the fact, and she was just talking about the transformation and and how sometimes you know people were like, oh, the accent is too strong, and then she's like, really? And then yeah. they play a clip, and they're like, oh wait, no, it's the, perfect. The accent is exactly on point. It's it's like there's sort of a uh, a thing with doing you know real people as an actor where you want to like either do you know do do the thing 100 for example malcolm x you know denzel washington malcolm x uh or you want to do or you want to do your own interpretation of it so i think you're frank langella in um master of the universe skeletor, yeah in master 100%. of the universe skeletor, yeah no uh in, <laughs> as uh as richard nixon yes. um which uh in in that terrific movie frost nixon where it's he doesn't sound like richard nixon he doesn't act like richard nixon but he's so 100 richard nixon yeah uh it's kind of a weird strange thing irrespective of our love of the actors in this film and the filmmaker and the filmmaker uh, tell us what annihilate what's the imdb synopsis of annihilate well you're gonna love this a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition where the laws of nature don't apply accurate <laughs> is it um accurate does she uh, she does sign up she <laughs> signs up i guess and yeah. the laws of nature are different yeah uh, there are still laws. That's something we'll talk about in a little bit too, which I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, one other thing before we get into a bit of the a bit of the more first impressions and things like that is let's talk. We've been talking a lot about distribution. Yeah. And this film has an interesting distribution path. Yep. It's going to be released on Netflix in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Or yeah. So I, I'm not exactly sure the 100 percent of the details, but it was given a theatrical release, release in the U.S., Canada, and China mm -hmm. this week, and then I think in two weeks all of the international rights were sold to Netflix. And now Paramount. About Netflix are getting pretty buddy buddy. We had the Cloverfield paradox for whatever reasons we've talked about before. Go back and listen to that review. Yeah. Um, but now we have this sort of like weird hybrid thing, and I'm wondering if if Paramount or, or movie studios are trying to do this sort of if you can't beat them, join them, but do it carefully, or keeping your enemies closer, your friends close, and your enemies closer, yeah. sort of thing. Because like maybe they're trying to find a symbiotic relationship that won't that won't be destructive to cinema. Or maybe they think that maybe, and then the other thing is maybe they don't feel like based on test screenings or things like that, that like this would have been a film that would be, that would do well in certain markets in that regard. So they wanted to release it. And I don't think, I don't think the filmmaker, I don't think Alex Garland was thrilled with the, this distribution deal. I, I mean, I, again, you and I are in slightly different camps about this where our, our home theater experiences are uh, pretty closely aligned to what you could get in a movie theater. Sure. Um, you know, we both have projectors. We both, you know, like, you know, like have good sound systems. We both, you know, like blackout curtains and all that sort yep. of stuff. So it's kind of a, it's kind of, you know, like we, we can, for, so for me, uh, if if you told me Annihilation was available right now on Netflix, <laughs> like, I, yes. I I wouldn't go pay for it in the theater. I would watch it on Netflix immediately. Yeah. Um. And and so we're in a slightly different camp about that. And I can completely understand what Alex Garland is saying because this experience is such a it's such a both such a visual and auditory experience. Yes. That watching it on a on like a, a, even a even a big you know LCD LED screen um, might not give you the sort of overwhelming experience that you get with watching this film on the big screen. On the other hand, um, I, you know, there's an interesting article that USA, uh, uh, USA to USA 
USA Today? Today. Why am I, <laughs> I, you know, I've never said USA Today out loud. And, really? it's like, and I stumbled on the A, and I was like, it should be US Today. But no, it's USA Today. USA Today. USA Today. And I was like, the, the sort of, you know, anyway. Wow. Uh, um, and they were talking about the, the, the notion that um, uh, it's, it's a struggle for smart sci-fi to find its audience in a Star Wars universe, in a Star Wars world. Um, sure. And, and, and a couple of things that they point to is, for example, uh, Ryan Johnson's film Looper um, is a film that made uh, 90... Uh, where is it here? Um, it made $66 million off a $20 million budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and Star Wars The Last Jedi made $618 million off a $220 million budget. So they're just in different, entirely different scales. Although um, uh, mathematically, uh, Looper is a more successful film. It's a film that less people saw. Um, even though it's an original film, it's, it's, it's a smart science fiction movie. It mm-hmm. takes like some of the time travel uh, ideas that we've seen in films like 12 Monkeys and Back to the Future and kind of flips them entirely on their head uh, in an interesting and new way. And and it's a, it's a similar conceit with Ex Machina. Ex Machina is not a is not a entirely uh, it's not a blockbuster hit, although it was well received. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the other film they talk about is Arrival as well. God, um, I love Arrival. Yeah, it's great. It was your number one movie yeah. that year, right? Yeah, it's I a love that movie so much. It's a fantastic film. And I think you know, like uh, one of the things the article points to is this idea that. Um, uh, and and I, the reason I also wanted to bring this up is something we started talking about last week in the Black Panther episode when we talked about science fiction trope, the idea of Wakanda as a science fiction trope. Mm-hmm. And and I think the idea of Wakanda as a science fiction trope is absolutely 100% true, but it's a different kind of science fiction trope to something like Annihilation or Ex Machina or where, uh, and what the USA Today article points to is that, is that, um, Wakanda and Star Wars and the Marvel Cinematic Universe are science fiction in the way that they still deal with universality. So they still deal with the universality of like what it means to be an American, what it means to be a human being. What okay, it means to I'm following with, you so far. Yep. And whereas Annihilation, Arrival, Ex Machina, Looper are much more about the unknown. They're much more about things where we don't have a definition of what this potentially means. Yeah. But particularly the end of Annihilation where this is an entire visual um, uh, sequence in Annihilation, which is, which is we, you know, there's no, there's almost no correlation between human humanness about it. Yeah. Um, the other film that uh, I've just been rewatching a lot recently is 2001: A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. In that respect, in 2001: A Space Odyssey, you know, it's almost it, 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 what that film is trying to do is is um, visualize the indecipherable. You know, it's trying to visualize yeah. things that are indecipherable. Um, so, so there's there, those are two different modes of science fiction. Not not saying one is right or wrong, but uh-huh. I I really like this type of science fiction. I the, do too. The, the type of psychedelic, the type of um, unknown. But it is it, it's it's coming back to the Netflix thing. It's 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 important to note that this is this is a much harder sell to your Friday night popcorn going audiences. This is a much harder sell to, to people who want to see, you know, who want to be entertained, which is why in a, in a, in a economic model where the star Wars universe, the Marvel cinematic universe, uh, are such a behemoth, such a, you know, such a overwhelming, um, powerhouse, uh, that, that these kinds of films, you know, Find it's it's harder to find an audience. For yes. Yeah. So this is uh, this isn't even a counterpoint. It's more of a side point. Mm-hmm. If there's if there's something 
look, I want them both to exist, right? Mm -hmm. And and the problem is, and I've noticed this actually a lot more in gaming, and now I'm starting to see it more in film, is that companies just see success somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, that's the only way to make a successful thing because, look, they did it, and it's proof, and they yeah. don't want to, like, try a different thing because it's riskier. Yeah. Um, the thing I'm thinking of, actually, was um, in video games, they said, uh, for, for some reason, then for no real correlation, I've looked at the, the data, that they said, uh, survival horror games, single-player survival horror games are dead. They right. don't want to make, oh, it was because Resident Evil 4 came out and it was a little more action-y and everybody loved it. So they right. said, Our survival horror is dead. Then they didn't make the next couple Resident Evil. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be like survival horrors, you know, thriving if Resident Evil 4 was No, because they made they made it more action-oriented oh, than right. like a standard sort of oh, like okay. sneak around or be, a, be afraid sort of thing. It was right. a more action game. They're like, it's an action shooter now. So they made five and six more action shootery and they were awful. And then finally, when it came back to return to form for Biohazard or Resident Evil 7, they made it survival horror again. And they were like, they were so shocked that people wanted it. But the company decided that right. just because they did a switch. With film, it's the same thing. Like you were even saying, so Looper is a more financially successful though granted lower bet lower reward lower risk lower yeah. rate yeah what i what i want is for both to exist and what might have to happen to do that and i think this netflix i i like this netflix deal yeah. because the, it feels like they're looking for a way to produce this thing and also still make enough profit so they can produce all of their things yeah and Look, this is a sort of selfish thing about myself. Yes, would I want everybody who would want to see Annihilation in a theater-esque setting to be able to see it? Yeah. Sure, and right now they're kind of doing that. Um, if this was a Netflix exclusive and you could only watch it and I could only watch it on like a smaller TV with a crappy sound system, yeah, I don't think I would enjoy it as much, but but it's also sort of, it, it's it's uh, putting its onus and its... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's pointing itself in the direction of a person that I am. Right. Does that make sense? It's it's this like weirdly more cerebral sci-fi that uh like a, in, an akin to a 2001 a Space Odyssey like that you would want like people who want to experience films like that are more likely to have setups yeah. or, or 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 put more of their their dollars that they have available towards setups for enjoying things like that. So it's, it, I, it's more of a sort of time may tell with me. Yeah. Um, but if, if this, if this is what has to happen to keep both my popcorn, uh, MCU nonsense alive and also give me thought provoking and heady sci-fi that might be a, a, a looser and, and a tougher bet to make. Yeah. Uh, I will, I will take it. Yeah. I think, I think the only problem there is that is the thing that you pointed out about Risen evil, which is that you get into the situation where if, if annihilation doesn't do well, they're like, Oh yeah. Uh, no one wants this. It's like, well, yeah, well, it, it, it's really I, like, I've just had this experience. I've had a couple of experiences recently where I've been pitching films and, and I, uh, I pitched a film where, the you know like you do this sort of classic thing when you're pitching which is like describe it in comparison to another film it's this plus this yeah this plus this exactly uh, which apparently is not a good uh, approach to take but but and I and I and I mentioned two films that I think are you know like arguably you know some of the best movies ever made when Harry met Sally meets the thing yeah that's that's exactly what I said yeah. it's like a love story between a creature and <laughs> Sally <laughs> and um, hey shape of water yeah there you go. <laughs> 
Um, but you just pitched. I can imagine the pitch meeting <laughs> in Shape of Water. It's like when Harry met Sally met the thing. And they're like, no one can make this. And Guillermo's going to make it. They're like, oh, yes. Okay, he can make it. Um, but I pitched two films that I, you know, like have appeared on top 10 lists around the world for the decade. And they were like, well, neither of those two films made money. So that's not a so real. No. So no. And so I was like, maybe one of your films has to be a yeah, moneymaker. Exactly. So I've got to just say Star Wars meets this or, yeah, you know, yeah. like the Avengers meets this. Harry Potter meets this. <laughs> Um, meets the phantom that, that's actually the the way that equation should work and so I you know like uh it's it's odd to me but I guess you know we we sit in a privileged position in that we can talk about the film industry uh as as an art form and other people sit in positions where they have to talk about it as a business and if you in the business it doesn't isn't working in continuation well, our, and, our professions are also the business side of this nonsense too well but we're creators we're content creators not, yeah. not, not necessarily distributors or studios you know what yeah. I mean so we have slightly Our overhead different, is lower. Yeah, is we have slightly saying. different priorities. Yeah. Um, at any rate, if anyone would like to sponsor us, yeah, yeah. Us by know. the way, yeah, we we have a Patreon. No, we don't. We <laughs> no, don't we have don't. A, we don't have a Patreon, but maybe we should. Well, maybe one day. <laughs> um, yeah, coming back to the actual. So now let's come back to the actual privileged position we sit in, where we can make judgment upon the content of Annihilation and where the yes. Annihilation actually what Do you want to go first or do you want to do it? Just about, uh, about what sort of first thoughts that we're yeah. talking about? You know, the thing that we do on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, we're a half hour in. It's yeah. about time. Uh, look, I was... I, I went in and I saw the trailer and I thought the trailer looked interesting but not great. And in fact, you don't watch trailers. You just watched the trailer right before we started this and you're like, oh, I'm glad I didn't see this trailer. Mainly because I felt like the trailer gave away every beat of the film. Oh, film. see, I didn't. I, really? I actually didn't feel like it gave. I thought it was jumpy around enough where the 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 if you want to look at the chronological happenings of the film, it didn't give enough away to me. I still didn't really? quite know what I, was. I just watched the trailer and felt like I rewatched the movie. I, but I, I, then having rewatched it since the film, I, I feel like at least my brain when I'm watching it, I was able to because I knew everything it was hinting at. The yeah. parts felt bigger than they actually were. Huh. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But one thing that I really liked about. Um, about this film was the overall this and this is a this is a pro and con sort of thing the overall story mm -hmm. uh told and the way the story is told i absolutely fell in love with and that's based a little bit around the book it's loosely based on actually we had a we had a lovely dinner party last night yeah. uh hosted by uh mr shahir Dowd <laughs> and his lovely wife who mostly hosted by her yeah, by yeah, yeah she did most of the uh work. and friends of the show patrick and francesca from last name basis podcast check them out uh were over as well along with myself and jamie and we were talking about we didn't know patrick knew this that these were based on books uh and i believe the trilogy is called the southern uh what's southern the reach the trilogy. southern reach trilogy and it's annihilation uh, uh authority. authority and acceptance yeah. i think are the three so i'm definitely interested in in um in checking those out because i while i liked the story and we'll get into the ending in a little bit it sort of left me a little bit like huh like a like like not cliffhangery obviously but like very you know there's more it felt like there was more story to tell and mm -hmm. apparently there are yeah. so uh but but the way the books were written as patrick has described mm -hmm. them is it's almost written in sort of half um half uh, what do you call it? like a half life of information or something along the lines where <laughs> it makes your brain do a lot more of the work in creating what you're reading than a normal novel would yeah um and I think this, the way the story was told did a lot, did that in the right ways and stayed away from the tropes that would do it in the wrong ways. Right. And I'll, again, I'll, I'll, there's a lot of, we'll get into that later. But the thing I will say, and this is sort of a detriment to it, while I really appreciated the story, I felt like the dialogue whenever 
it was a human moment, like between two normal people having a conversation, like mm. in a boat yeah. or, uh, you know, like w- whatever they were when monsters weren't coming at them or they weren't experiencing some crazy phenomenon yeah. uh, was awful. Right. I thought I thought the human interaction, it was almost like the filmmakers were so interested in the cool parts that they were going to do that they just sort of wanted to plow through these sort of human moments quickly give to me, get give back. Give me an example. Um, so there's a moment in the film when, and I guess when we're half hour in, mm-hmm. we're 40, 40, almost 40 minutes in, we're going to get into spoilers now, and I'll try to keep them minimal to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the course of the film, uh, it keeps jumping back and forth timeline-wise between Natalie Portman telling the story to a bunch of people in hazmat suits, which ironically, uh, you know, no one who went into the shimmer, this whole thing <laughs> they go into was wearing a hazmat suit, but yeah. when they come out, you got to wear them and keep them quarantined. Yeah. Uh, smart people doing stupid things. Uh, um, so it's her recounting her tale of being in the shimmer. Basically the story is she, what the, exactly what IMDb said. Um, she goes in to try to find a cure for basically her husband, who is the only survivor of the last team that went in. Um, and you have flashbacks between from her telling the story to the scientists. You have flashbacks even before that of before the husband played by Oscar Isaac left. And then you have a flashback while he was gone and or missing with her having a, an affair with a teacher you see in one scene in the beginning of the film. She's a, she's a, a biology teacher um yeah the, in, uh, in the film. Ac- uh actor is david giazzi yeah. from uh, uh Inter- interstellar would be the last place yep. he saw him so so that scene in particular and you could argue the validity or, or the usefulness of the affair aspect of this or not I, I i don't care one way or the other um but that scene had fell into the trope of what i think is quicker poor writing or, or or maybe not even poor writing just writing that didn't go through enough revisions right. where they called each other by their names mm. in the dialogue i think eight or nine times right and, and, and it's when when it's when you just keep doing that that's not how people talk yeah and it throws me out instantly i'm like this is someone reading a page right so there's moments like that throughout the film that do throw me out. Um, But luckily the stuff around all those things is, is really heady and really fun. And, uh, and also the let, let's talk a little bit about the all female strike team that goes in there. Mm -hmm. Right. We've been uh, again, this is a, a film that, this is this is what I like. We were just talking about like how all films shouldn't just be about the time that they're made and like trying to go into whatever social movements are happening, etc. And this movie, I don't think, did that. Mm-hmm. I think what was lovely about this film is a going into it even after watching the trailer, I didn't know the strike team was going to be made of all women. Yeah. B, I didn't care either. Yeah. Like it. It was a non-issue. These were four smart women, most of which was some military training, and all specialized in their fields that were going in to do this job. Yeah. And they never made a thing about it. Yeah. It was literally like this is the most natural thing in the world, and I think that is the wonderful balance point for a film that's not about those issues, but yet still being respectful of not even not current issues, just what. The way the way it should be. <laughs> yeah, there there was one line. That they had one a, line. One line that called that out, where they said every previous team had been all male. Yeah, and so we're trying something and different I, now. And I thought I thought that was actually going to play into a plot point. Yeah, but I'm glad that it didn't. Yeah, it didn't because really it it does not matter, and that was really refreshing to me. Yeah. Um. Regardless, and then the other things I'll say. Um. 
was it does fall into a bit of the smart people doing stupid shit trope. No hazmat suits except for, again, when they're done. done, Uh, Touching things without gloves everywhere and not wanting to watch, like, footage that they find, like, clues for things Mm. because it's too scary and someone literally used the term, it was a trick of the light. And you're like, you're fucking scientists. Like, that's not how a scientist acts. To be fair, she's not a scientist. That character. Uh, What was she? What was her job? She was an ambulance driver or something like that. Oh. Paramedic. Okay, that's fair. But still, and then the final the final straw, there's a moment where they're camped out at a base uh, about halfway through Act 2, and they're all, they're like, there's a tower, there's like a watchtower three stories up where there's one stairway up that they're all sleeping in, and they're, they're determining someone's going to keep watch. Yeah. But the person keeping watch is in a small shack on the ground. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the dumbest tactile move. And then when something, they go down, and then once they hear something, they all come down from their safe place where they had the best vantage point, yeah. and something bad happens. Yeah. So, like, little things like that threw me. Yeah. And then the final thing, the final thing I'll say, and again, I, I you know, this is why you come to me sometimes as I make the video game analogies. This film's look and, and actually musical feeling is so influenced by the video game The Last of Us. Yeah. Oh, uh, Okay. So so the 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 type of villains or sometimes in Last of Us are those fungus the clickers the yeah, the yeah. whatnot and the way that that person split apart in the pool with all the stuff growing out of it and actually just the way the jungle looked with all the different stuff looked very akin to the art direction in that game mm-hmm. and the music the slow uh, uh or not even slow but like the guitar riffs that was straight out of there and i noticed that there was actually a ps3 in natalie portman and oscar isaac's home with a couple cases and i couldn't tell if it was last of us or not but i was like whoever was doing art direction at the very least was uh, there were some definite homages to that in there which i really like because that game is probably one of the most artful games i think ever made just started playing it actually yeah uh, I've played it before, but I didn't finish it, and I just got a PS4. So yeah. Anyway, that was. I mean, I I dug. Oh, and and this is where we'll get into. This is a film that 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 wants you to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in these Star Wars is, and yeah, we we do talk. I, I, it's funny. Star Wars, I don't think wants you to talk about it, but it just people want to talk about it. Yeah. This is a film that I think when you leave the theater, if you're going with your friends, you have discussions. Yeah. And and it's not even it's not based on it's not canonical discussions. It's what does this film mean discussions. Right. So I liked that a lot. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, you know. Yes. From the from the outset, uh, the premise of the the beginning of this conversation, the thing. You know, uh, the distinction between the types of science fiction uh, that we had at the beginning. Obviously, this is the type of science fiction I really enjoy. Um. I felt. You know. And um. Something I've also been rewatching recently was uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's film Stalker, uh, which I bought Ooh. on the Criterion Collection, which is on sale. And 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 there was a lot about the shimmer that reminded me of Stalker, which is the you know in Stalker there's this place called the Zone that people go to for things they want um and and in the shimmer uh, the, the way the shimmer work kind of felt like this unknown sort of area yeah and i really uh, i i i liked the idea that there was that they were uh trying to find a scientific underpinning to 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 to, to, to the shimmer and they even talk about this idea that the shimmer is uh and this is a spoiler, obviously, yep. at this point. We hope you've seen the film. Uh, is is a is a zone of refraction. So the, it's a it, prism. It's a prism that refracts everything that's inside of it. DNA mixes and and things go weird in there. Um, I I really like that. I agree with you that the uh, some of the relationship stuff that the film 
uh, really highlights uh, towards the beginning uh, and gives, you know, it gives Natalie Portman sort of a reason for being um, was a little, you know, on the nose a little bit. Um, I, I'm never really, uh, I don't, I think Alex Garland is, is too good a writer to make uh, people saying their names feel bad. What, what, what I sort of get, uh, what rings a uh, false in my ears when is when people talk about ideas more than they talk instead of actually, interesting uh, instead of having conversations and when it feels like the film is trying to when it feels like the writer is trying to communicate exposition or an idea through the dialogue as opposed to having a conversation that's the thing that always kind of rings that, that was false. kind of the moment too that I was yeah. talking about on the boat when we were getting exposition of all the team members from Natalie Portman and her friend in the boat yeah um, I also I, I found uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character um, uh, you know Dr. Ventress, uh, the, the psychologist, you know, her prickliness, uh, felt very much like a movie trope yep. than, than a real, you know, I was like, Oh, wouldn't you just tell her what's going on at this point instead yep. of like being quiet and effusive and, and, you know, and like, and like sort of being sort of slightly menacing. Um, there was a couple mysteries in this film that didn't need to be mysteries. Yeah. It's that thing where, you know, like, yeah, I always talk about it in lost. There's certain episodes of lost where you go, well, if this person just said this thing, yeah. the whole episode it wouldn't would happen. Yeah. And, and, and I was reading a thing recently, um, uh, and I can't remember the writer's name, but he said, you know, like that happens a lot, you know, where, where someone, there's a withholding of information that, yeah. that, that just, that's what needs to happen to keep the story forward. And he says, when, when you see that happen, you actually have to write a better solution because he says, because that's the game. That's what you're doing. You're You have to write solutions that are airtight. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is one of those ones where I kind of was like, mm, I'm not too sure about it. Yeah. So I, um, but so I, and I, and I dig the kind of scientific underpinning of this film. Um, it's not, it's not, it, it kind of matches the sort of like nice boundary between hard science and pseudoscience. Um, yes. you know, like it, it's using this concept of mitosis a lot, you know, with sl cells split uh, alongside this concept of uh, the immortal cell. And there's this great scene where uh, uh, it, it's, again, it's a little on the nose, but it's a story I'm really in love with. Um, uh, Natalie Portman's character is sitting there reading The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Um, and she uh, was, uh, if you haven't read that book, that book's a, kind of amazing. And um, it, it, it ties directly into this film hmm. because uh, Henrietta Lacks was the, uh, per, the, the patient zero for the HeLa cell which is an immortal cell that is used for uh, medical testing. And it's a, it's, it's a unique cell in that up until this point, up until HeLa, um, uh, we couldn't respawn um, uh, biological cells infinitely. Mm. And the HeLa cell is one that can be respawned infinitely um, and is used in cancer research and leukemia right. and, and almost every kind of medical research uh, known to man. Well, there's the HeLa yeah. There's also side note, this movie has a lot to do in, 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 in trope wise or in, in, uh, uh, topic wise to cancer. Yeah. It, I mean, and, and there's a line that, um, Natalie Portman says, which is, uh, which is very true of cancer, which is cancer is ultimately, uh, a cell mutation, but it's an immortal cell. It just continues to mutate and it, you know, it'll eventually kill the host, mm -hmm. which I think ties into what, you know, the concept of annihilation in this film is. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that kind of heady reflection. I like that kind of idea. I grew the, um, this is sort of a plus and a minus for me as a, is, is the first thing I said, uh, or I, that I wrote down after I saw the movie was like, I think Matt's going to dig this because I think one of the things we talked about in a couple of our video game panels is like video game 
movies that don't have video games attached to them. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really good example of a video game, uh, of a movie that feels like a video game, but doesn't have a video game attached to it. I was like, uh, you know, the kind of sense of discovery going into this place and like seeing the, you know, like the Resident Evil videotape. The structure of the adventure is very gamified. It it, it feels very much like a game. Um, And whether it's The Last of Us or or anything, I just kind of, I, I, I felt that true to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I think that w- because one of the things we've been trying to get to in, in terms of our, our, our video game discussions is the, the distinction between what makes something video gamey versus something that's cinematic. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things we've pointed to is a sense of discovery is really important in video games. Mm-hmm. And I think this film has that real sense of discovery to it. Yeah. Um, I, I did, I, I think I did a horrible thing, which is that, which is, yeah, I've done terrible things and this is my confession, um, which is that I, I re I started reading the, the synopsis of the, the, the James Van de Beer books. Um, and, and, and I started reading about how the book and the film are very different. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what that started to do was it started to take me out of reading the film on its own terms Mm -hmm. because I started doing a comparison, even though I haven't read the books. What could it be? What could it be? And I, you know, like, uh, um, and again, this is the biggest spoiler for uh, Annihilation, dun, dun, dun. which is that in the book Annihilation, the Southern Reach continues; like it doesn't it doesn't get destroyed, uh, which is what leads into the remaining films, yeah. uh, the remaining books. So the notion that it gets destroyed in this film is like is is sort of unusual because it kind of closes the seal on it. Sure, although. You could argue that the final shot of the film, seeing the shimmer, yeah, the shimmer, and maybe there's another way they're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, But reading, watching the film on its own terms, I certainly enjoyed the experience. I was, I I, I certainly liked it a lot. It wasn't um, as enrapturing as Ex Machina. There was a lot of, you know, that thing about the video game thing. Once Natalie Portman started firing guns and it turned out she was like a, you know, like a a quick fire shot or something like one of the, you know, a great shooter. Um, You know, there's a scene where she's fighting an alligator uh, and she shoots it directly. I was kind of like, there's this weird thing, which is that I think this was, you know, Alex Garland made this really hitty, mm-hmm. but but sort of chamber piece film with Ex Machina. You know, it's a yeah. two person hitter. You know, like mm-hmm. two. Per- it's a conversation film. Yep. And I thought that was brilliant and a masterstroke, and it was genius. And that's what that film needs to be. I feel like this film steps into sort of action adventure, and it doesn't need to be because I think the fil- the the ideas of things happening are more interesting than the action adventure. Like I I think the, the I would call this survival horror more than action adventure for using <laughs> video game terms because if you think about it, there's only two times actively where she shoots a gun. Right. But, but you, I and it's guess not, it's not shot in a, in a gratuitous actiony way either. A lot of like literally that alligator scene it's, and the it's, bear scene and the, well, the bear scene is more of a, like a, a culmination of like a trapped moment Yeah, um, where and you want to go to video games. That's more Tomb Raider. Yeah. But the, 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 the alligator literally is three shots. It's her loading the gun, shooting the gun straight at the camera. And then we see the alligator get shot a bunch and die. Right. And but they talk like, about how, like, where did you become such a good shot? And it was like, I think the thing is, is like the, the, the ending of this film mm-hmm. where, where it's about discovery and trying to put the pieces together mm-hmm. and then going in a different direction are far more, are far more interesting to sure. me than the than the action stuff, which I think and I think it, that they built it that I think they, they that's yeah. very obvious that yeah. that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, is and and the problem is is that action stuff. I was like, it's it's fine, it's good, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not it's not terribly terribly done, except for when things like you mentioned, like why are they in a watchtower? 
Yeah. And then down in, in where the bear can just it's attack. It's utilitarian. And the, yeah. And then the bear, the bear scene, I kind of like the first bear attack was kind of like, I was like, how did you not see that giant bear standing next yeah. to you? You yeah. know, like, like, you know, just things like that. And I, and I kind of feel like this was maybe a case of Garland or, or whatever the producers in this film kind of saying, oh, can we kind of either beef this up a little bit and make it a little bit more pow, 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 pow. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know if I, I didn't, there was so little of it. I don't, I don't even, if, if they did, if that was the beef up, I, they didn't beef it up much. They didn't beef it up much. And, and, and that's, it does strike a good balance. Yeah. I, I, and I think the ending is really interesting. And there are like a ton of little details in this film that mm -hmm. I think are really, really good. Um, for example, the fact that Natalie Portman ends up in it, ends the film with a tattoo on her arm that she didn't have to begin with, uh, but another character has. Uh, and so you get this, and the tattoo is of the snake eating its own tail yeah. kind of thing, which is this. What up, Altered Carbon? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen Altered Carbon. That's, a, that's a big, it's a dragon, but it's the same thing. Right, right. And it's this idea that, you know, like there are tons of um, little, I, I think the, the notion that, that DNA splicing can create these sort of like interesting mixes, you know, like the bear that screams like the last victim it just killed. Oh my God. It was so effective and uh, it was so fucking cool. And even the conversation that they had, like, can you imagine like that moment of fear is the merging moment? Like that, yeah. that's like, so not only is it just this bear now has a screaming voice, <laughs> it's possible that the entire emotion is sort of mixed in with when it's scream. Like, yeah. Oh, it's I, so cool. It's it is really cool. It you know like and it, and I think the ending gets to this point that is really interesting as well in terms of like um you know when when Natalie Portman says something along the lines of uh you know what did it want? And it was like, I don't know if it wanted anything. Yeah. You know, I don't even know if it knew I was there. Uh, it is just, uh, you know, it is like cells in our body that mutate, that, that don't want anything. They're just there. They exist to exist. What I loved is this movie, even though it's heady and there's a lot of stuff to talk about, it is not, it, 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 it focused enough on the how to make you buy into the world that they're doing. And the how, the how all the weird things is happening is uh, the prism effect. It's not only on light, but it's on radio waves and DNA. And when you're in the shimmer, for whatever reason, I love that it started at a lighthouse, like a meteor hitting a lighthouse and it expanded from that. So the how is set up and look, it, the world is good enough where you buy in. You're like, this is how all this is happening. Yeah. And then the why is left to the audience to decipher for themselves depending on what they believe they're seeing especially in the last act right and that is something that i think a lot of films try to do mm. and either don't for me lock me into the world enough by following its own rules or coming up with a simple explanation of of the how that then makes the why a worthwhile question i always need the how answered first and right. then i can let my mind wander as to why because if i'm wondering how that's taking away from the actual philosophical shit that we're trying to get into yeah, this film and the ending, I have some problems with the ending, but but they're more technical problems. Right. So the end of this, Natalie Portman finally reaches the lighthouse after multiple team members. Um, things happen to them along the way. Uh, good, bad, yeah. awful. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> um, and uh, the she gets there and she gets to the inside and finds one of the doctors. And there's fun. There's fun little clues. So basically, uh, I'll get into the spoiler and then I'll talk about the clues. 
the being or whatever is in there takes a drop of Natalie Portman's blood and basically becomes uh, a, a clone of some kind of her and is following. And it's actually more of like a humanoid, like amorphous shape to begin with. Yeah. Um, and then eventually becomes a clone. Also, you find out that the Oscar Isaac that came back is definitely not exactly the Oscar Isaac, but a clone. And then you start thinking about other things in the film. Uh, that happened, for instance, there's a scene where Natalie Portman sees a deer yeah. uh, with like uh, flowers growing out of its thing, and there's two of them, and they're running a little bit in tandem, but slightly off, and then I was like, that's a fucking alien. The yeah. alien's just with the deer, because the way the alien was moving, or I'm calling it an alien, yeah. the, the entity was moving, was mirroring exactly what Natalie Portman was doing. Um, the the when he she finds the doctor in the chamber first and when it sort of uh turns, it like shoots light out of it and sort of immerses into the first thing that turns into it, that wasn't the doctor. That was the clone of the doctor. Right. Because b before it, it had the same sort of face, weird, amorphous shimmer that eventually the Natalie Portman right, clone yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. Uh, visual cues everywhere. Mm. What I didn't like about it mm. was from a technical filmmaking aspect of it where this this amorphous sort of humanoid shape felt like it had no weight. Like from a, from a VFX standpoint, okay. Um, it took. But didn't, wouldn't that make sense given that it was it was metamorphosizing at that no, point? No, because it's still interacting with the ground. It's stepping on it. It's doing th like for instance, I would have rather yeah. before an actual clone happens, it stay that really cool sort of melding shape and then that took the blood. Like when it became sort of the. I, it's not the T one thousand, but it, it's the it's like a, a T one thousand. Yeah, like but like a grayish blackish. You would have liked goo. Doug Jones to play this to play the Natalie Portman double. This is so kind of because Shape of Water kind of like uh, got us into the idea that VFX doesn't have to be you could do, character. You could do VFX help, and then when it has to do crazy shit like yeah. morph, and then you could have someone in a terrifying suit. You could get Natalie Portman's body double from Black Swan to play, you know, to play the the body exactly. So that threw me a bit. Again, yeah. that's that's filmmaking. That's and, and not enough to take me out of it uh, or, or make me in, not enjoy the questions it's making me ask. But I was just like, what? Uh. I, I didn't I, I actually in the case of where, you know, like uh, it was we, we weren't sure what the entity was. Yes. I didn't mind that it was VFX. And I and I kind of felt like the and one of the things I was like kind of impressed with was that the motion of the VFX of the of the, the being the, the being was close but not exactly that's what i love i yeah. really like even that. when the deer's jumping around it does yeah. the same thing yeah, the, i think it's more moments there's a point when natalie portman falls on the ground and the thing mimics falling on the ground with her yeah and the 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 weight of seeing a body like a human actual performance body hit the ground yeah. they just can't quite mimic yet with a full cg character i think well what i you know what i i i took a story meaning to that which is that i i felt like the creature was trying to figure out how to fall to the ground. But it would still interact with the ground in the same way. That's, that, I don't know. Again, yeah. this is semantics, and I, I like your explanation of yeah. it because it's a better story explanation of that, it. It's just the way I took it. You yeah. know, like, um, and, and I thought it was kind of an interesting approach. Um, there was a, there's an interesting thing, which is I think we're, we're all leaning onto the term annihilation um, in its sort of classical sense, which is that you know it's the it's the entire destruction mm -hmm. um, based on uh, the the coming together of two forces. But I started looking, and again, I am not a physicist. But <laughs> But in, <laughs> Wait, what? But, Get out! But I was starting to read, I, I started, I was like, oh, okay, what's the definition of annihilation and how does it apply to this film? Mm -hmm. Because there's a, there's a moment when uh, the doctor says, you know, we are hitting towards annihilation. And in the book, the, the word annihilation means something entirely different. 
Um, the, the spoiler is, um, in the book, uh, they use hypnosis in order to control the scientists. So, uh, you know how they appear inside the, inside the shimmer and they're like, I don't know how long we've been here. Yeah. Um, that it, makes more sense. It's because they've been hypnotized and, uh, the, the, the doctor can like basically take them in and out of hypnosis to, in order to control them. And annihilation is the trigger word in order for them to self-destruct, like to kill each other, to kill themselves in order so, so they don't bring whatever's back. So annihilation means something entirely different in the book. Uh, again, I d like I said, this is a terrible thing to do because I don't want to watch the film in comparison to the book. Right, 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 right. Uh, because I didn't read the book. But the other thing I started doing was like in, in, um, in particle physics, and again, I'm just pretty much just, I'm not going to try and pretend I'm smart and I know what this means, mm -hmm. um, but I'm just reading straight from the Wikipedia page and I kind of have a sense of what this means, but I think it's kind of an interesting way to look at what the term annihilation might mean. Mm -hmm. Is in particle physics, annihilation is the process that occurs when two, when a subatomic particle collides with its respective antiparticle and to produce other particles, such as an electron colliding with a positron to create, two, to produce two photons. Um, that's the, the, the Wikipedia definition of annihilation in a physical sense. I think what it, what it actually leads to is the, the Higgs boson um, yep. experiment where they're trying to shoot two particles into it. That's actually- Chlorophyll paradox, got yeah, it. Yeah, it's actually, that's actually what they call annihilation. And, it's, and it creates something new, which is the phrase Natalie Portman actually uses in the film, which is that it's not trying to destroy anything. It's trying to create something new. And what that got me thinking about was this, the, the, the asteroid hitting the lighthouse is kind of akin to the asteroid that destroyed the dinosaurs. You know, like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's this, it's, it's basically reshaping the world as we know it. And I thought, and I thought it's also telling the story that, uh, that Prometheus and things like that are trying to tell, but <laughs> actually telling it. Yeah, what I love, what, what I loved about, uh, what loved about it was, I was like, ah, uh, when they were wandering around, kind of inhaling spores and stuff, I was like, you guys didn't, you guys should have just watched the Alien Covenant, yeah. to like know what not to do in yeah. this scenario instead it of was, just doing the exact same thing. Uh, um, no, but look, I think we're gonna get into our uh, final, final thoughts, final sure. thoughts about this. I, I did really enjoy this movie. I think this movie has got a lot of meat on them bones, even if even if the meat is decaying because of uh, refracted because it's becoming crystal. Yeah, because it's becoming crystal. <laughs> I loved the the idea when she walked out at the on the beach and there were these crystallized trees. Yep. And I was like, oh, that is sand particles that have trying been to be plants. Yeah. There's plant there's plant particles, flower beds mm -hmm. taking the shapes of humans because humans have been interacting with the thing. And it's like it's so. Or, or cool. but it also then we see Tessa Thompson's character actually becoming one of those things as well. Or modified. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like there's just this sort of internal refraction. That Tessa just, Thompson was great in this film too. Yeah, I I liked her. I I kind of felt like she was. I, and it's weird because I, it's not that I hang out with scientists, but I know a lot of scientists. Mm -hmm. And and there was something about her performance where I felt well, like. She was a mathematician, wasn't she? Uh, she was a physicist. Physicist. Um, where I felt like she was playing someone playing a physicist. Sure. You know, she you know was being mean? a little bit more shy. Yeah. A little a bit shy like, physicist, you know, like the nerdy glasses. Yeah. I, I, you know, like that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I loved uh, the moment where like, you know, plants started coming out of her veins and yep. things like that. I thought that was really cool. Um, overall, I think, you know, this is not to me, um, a home run like ex machina was, it's mm. not a home run like Lupo was where, where I felt, felt like the, um, there was a cl clear, succinct line through the ideas that the film was trying to uh, talk about um, and the way it executed them. Um, that said, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey is a film that took me like, you know, at least three or four goes before I really 
tuned into what that film is doing. Sure. So it might be a case that I feel like this is a film I want to watch a couple more times mm -hmm. to kind of really see whether the film is landing the ideas that it has. Um, if it is a case that this is a, you know, like they are going to eventually make uh, other films, then that, then that kind of lessens the experience for me. Yeah, I don't think they will. Um, but, but, but I, I feel like the experience, what I, it's telling, it's telling that the experience is not a negative despite me not being attuned to this film. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, like, like I am, I think there is enough value. There, there's more than enough value in what I actually saw that it's, you know, like, like we said with, like I said with Black Panther, where, where, um, my initial sense of not being quite attuned to this film mm -hmm. is actually okay. Uh, given that I think that this film does enough, right. Sure. Um, that I'm willing to, I, I do want to see it again. I want to give it another shot and I want to try it. And I, and, and it's not that I actually had a bad experience and I actually, for the most part, actually really dug mm -hmm. watching this film and, and the, the final auditory and the, the final sequence is such a sort of mind belt of visuals and sound that I, I was, and, and so terrifying and hauntingly beautiful at the same time that it kind of worked. I think the, the sort of reveal with not the reveal, but the, the resolution of the Oscar Isaac story, uh, felt, uh, well, I don't it, think there was a resolution. And well, I think, I think that's I, I, okay in this particular point. I think, I think what it was, was it was, it was, was, mm -hmm. um, was that the Oscar Isaac story was that that attempted universal universalization that we talked about with Star Wars, where it's like about a human thing, whereas the the alien, you know, like the 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 shimmer is this unknown. And I think it was trying. It felt like because again, and this is that horrible thing I did, which is that the that story is not very prevalent in the books, uh, and it felt like it was drawn out and yeah. made into a bigger thing. And and I was like, oh, I I can't I see what it's doing, but it also kind of robs the the film a little bit of its philosophical importance because it like tries to connect it to a home a human emotion, which I didn't think was like particularly strong. Right. It's, not the, it's a, you know, like, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a trope. It's you're rescuing your loved one. I mean, it, that's what it yeah. is. And, um, and conversely in interstellar, for example, I think that that trope was done really beautifully in that film. So, so, it, you know, like, and it actually worked into like the philosophical ideas of what that film was trying to do. So I, I, I have qualms with this film. I have things that I sort of, you know, were like, I'm not too sure about this, but I want to give it another shot. And I, and I, and I really did enjoy it. Right. Okay. And I'll say, I'll say I kind of had a, an opposite perspective with the, in, in truth of Ex Machina. I love Ex Machina, but like Ex Machina, like I got it. And I like, I understood what was happening. And even at the very end, like Ex Machina didn't leave me with any question, any new questions at the end of it than when it did in the beginning about what is AI and when does life sort of matter? And like that sort of thing, like that was a question throughout. Yeah. This film kept me uh, to the point where it had me asking new questions about the, 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 the kind of the definition of what annihilation is. It's not a bad thing. It's not a malicious thing. It's just how the universe work. Like, and it just sort of moved me forward in thinking and then left me with an ending. So for instance, yeah, the shimmer is now gone in a very, you beat the final boss and the world is saved sort of moment, which I never particularly love, yeah. but 
Now you have a clone-esque type person that was mixed with whatever that entity was being Oscar Isaac and a person that was literally gene spliced for about two weeks in the shimmer being Natalie Portman. She's the original, but altered. Mm. He's the copy. And it's like, they both are together now. And what does that mean? And like who, at what point are, 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 is you not you? Yeah. And like, there's, you can take it a lot of different ways and you can take it even to the point of like, uh, you know, cancer cells and the way the cancer cells work being how the shimmer sort of functions. It's just, it, it left me with a lot of wonderful questions that I don't think the film is meant to answer. I think it's meant to have you start talking and asking those questions where Ex Machina had one and it did incredibly well with that one. Yeah. It, Ex Machina was the conversation about one topic, right? Yeah. And this is, well, what about this? And yeah. what about this? I dug it a lot. Uh, and despite the flaws that I brought up, the minimal dialogue problems I had, uh, some of the special effects just mainly in that last act being uh, a little bit silly and, you know, very smart people doing very stupid things. Um, <laughs> I I really dug it. And I'm, and I i for one, am excited uh, that it will be coming to a Netflix yeah, thing because I think more people will actually see it than would have previously. Especially and- if you had that reaction to the trailer. Yeah, like I could see people having that because I wasn't even sure if it was going to be good. And then when I started seeing reviews of it and it was people were liking it, I was like, yes. And it's and it's kind of a win for Netflix because they, you know, like coming off the Cloverfield paradox. Well, anything's a win off that. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of you know like uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think actually you know I, Alex Garland might be upset that it's not playing in theater, you know, like doing big theater runs, but it might be Netflix might be the thing that saves this movie into exi- you know into yeah. into yeah. bringing it to people in a, in a much easier way. So yeah, I, I liked it a lot, and I would suggest anyone who likes uh, thought-provoking sci-fi go check it out. Yeah, this has been the only podcast about the film Annihilation. Shahir, when you are not you and 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 your loved ones are not annihilating uh, a beautifully crafted <laughs> dinner party, when we're not annihilating the food you served to us from last night, where can folks find you? Well, that uh, we are prepa- we are constantly preparing food for people to come over. <laughs> just we won't give you the address, so just wander around a story and yeah, you'll our find name it and you'll find it, uh, or go to our website. Go to my website and, and email me at yeah. shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you have completely devoured another set of cells that came to you as food, where can people find the new amorphous silver T-1000-esque version of yourself? Or am I looking at it right now? You might be. You can find whatever that is happening, plus my metachlorian count at matthewkroll.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Or Skeletor, the number four, Pierre on Instagram, or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Uh, also, you can check me out uh, on the Extra Credit stream uh, doing Friendship Watch still on Twitch uh, at 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. on Thursday evenings. And, uh, uh, we're doing all sorts of other lovely stuff. Also, yeah, please check us out at uh, uh, OnlyMoviePodcast.com. That's where you can find all of our uh, stuff. Links to our SoundCloud, links to our iTunes. Please leave us reviews on all of those things. Uh, and if you dig us, write us in again. I know we're harping on it, but we love hearing from you at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or at OnlyMoviePod on Twitter. And I think this is a film that warrants more discussion. Let's so all talk about it. So yeah, please write us in. And uh, yeah, so until next time, I think my good cinematic buddy uh next time uh will be coming a little bit sooner than usual uh maybe i know it'll be a lot colder true where we are true okay we'll leave you with that and we'll uh well we will be talking at you next week (laughs) see you later bye-bye